Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will use this city as a tool of witness in the lives of those who are struggling to live godly for you. I pray that it will bring deliverance and set the captive free. Lord, as it goes beyond the prison walls, the highway and byways, that it will compel those to come unto you. Lord, those that are struggling, that they'll begin to live victoriously. And Lord, when that race is over and it is all finished, Lord, they can come unto you and you will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. verses 34 and 38 and the word reads as is and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again and he spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. For whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When ye cometh in the glory of his Father with the angels. When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father, we come before you and we are grateful and thankful to you. For we know that, Lord, it's in you that we live, we move, and we have our very being. And, Lord, we would like at this time to ask you, Lord, to search us, O God, and know our heart. Try us and know our thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in us and then lead us in the way of everlasting. Now, Lord, your servant truly needs you, Lord, to lend me your anointing on this day. For it's through your anointing that yokes, fetters, and chains are broken. So we ask you right now, God, to have your way. And if there's any that's listening that have never repented of their sins nor been baptized in Jesus' name, or filled with the Holy Ghost, according to Acts 2 and 38, we ask that this day be the day. And when all of these things are accomplished, we'll remember to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Let everyone say in Jesus' name. Before you're seated, I just want to pull out one verse out of Mark 8, and it'll be Mark 8 and 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In the remaining time that I have, 
I'd like to leave you this thought. It's time for a shift. As we prepare to examine our hearts and minds after hearing today's thought, we should be compelled as believers to make the necessary shift in order to be all that Christ is calling us to be. In order for that shift to occur, we must be willing to shift our priorities, both as believers and non-believers. Simplistically speaking, to shift, it is the changing of something to something else. Are you willing this morning to make a shift? For example, on my computer's keyboard, as well as yours, the second key from the bottom is titled shift. The shift key has only one function, and that function is to change things. You press that shift key on the letter, and you quickly go from lowercase to uppercase. You press the shift again with a number, and you go from a number to a symbol. Hello. Yeah, I know y'all got these computers. You know that's how it works. But once again, to the meaning of shift, it's the changing of something to something else. The Bible is just full of men and women who have made a shift. Now, I'm going to need some audience participation, and you'll get it after the first one. Moses, the prince of Egypt, became the leader of God's people when he made a David, a shepherd boy, becomes king of Israel after he makes a, come on, work with me now. Saul, a persecutor of the church, becomes the greatest missionary of the church when he made a, Esther, a young peasant girl, becomes the queen of Persia and delivered her people from death after she made a, perhaps. Just maybe, perhaps you could see uh, this a little bit clearer if you think about yourself. So let me say this. Perhaps you could use that proverbial shift key in your life today. I'm just saying, where are you at in your life? Are you where you need to be? Are you where you want to be in Christ? Are there things you desire to change in your life? And if so, you need to make a shift in your life. In the Gospels, we find that there's a time in the ministry of Jesus where he makes a shift in his ministry. Mm -hmm. Which from that point, when that shift occurs, now it causes his ministry to be defined. His purpose is illuminated. In the ministry. And the shift is found in Mark 8, 31 through 32. He, meaning Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke that plainly. Did you catch it? Did you see the shift coming in to focus? Jesus was a master teacher, as we've just read in Mark 
31. Jesus was a great miracle worker in John 11 and 38. Jesus is known for the miracles that he's performed. He made the blind eyes to be open, the deaf ears to hear, the lame to walk. But in this particular account that I'd like to share with you in 11 and 38, listen to what Jesus does to prove that he is that miracle-working God. You know and are very familiar with this particular account as we say what the scripture is saying here. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, coming to the grave, and it was a cave and a stone laid upon it. For, for you that don't remember, this is Lazarus. This is where Jesus was told where Lazarus was buried. And so now he's beginning to go there. And the Bible says that he told them to take away the stone. Let me say this. Jesus will never do anything for you that you could do for yourself. We admit that he had all power in heaven and in earth. He could have just looked at that stone and the stone would have rolled away. But if man is involved, you have to do your part. I'm here to say to you, God has some conditional promises in the word. And he says, if you do this, I'll do that. He told them, I need you to move the stone away. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he have been dead for four days. You remember the account. The word got to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And Jesus was in a nearby town. He could have got up and went and been right there on time. But he let a time lapse to where he actually died. And then when it was time to go, he said, come, we got to go to Lazarus because he's sleeping. <laughs> he was dead. He was graveyard dead. And the sister reminded Jesus, now, after three days... The competition of, of, of your body begins to decay. The worms begin to eat, and the maggots invade your body, and now you stink. So she said, Jesus, by now he stinketh. It's been four days. I, I want to help somebody right now, because when the world sees you and you're trying to come to Christ, They'll have that same mindset. Well, she or what well, he stinketh by now. But in God's eyesight, he says, uh-uh. It's not over till I say it's over. When you look at this account, now they go to the grave. The stone is rolled away. And when the stone is rolled away, he's beginning to tell them something. Verse 42, he says, and I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou has sent me. This is Jesus' moment of praying. And he doesn't need to pray, but he does. And he prays not so much for him, but for the account of the people that are listening. And when Jesus does this, then he goes to the grave and he says, Lazarus, come forth. He wants somebody to come out of your sins today. Come forth. I know that they said you stinking. They already said your body is decomposed. But I'm telling you, I'm speaking life into your situation. I'm speaking life into where you going to be. Lazarus, come forth. Somebody once said there's a reason why he had to be specific and say just Lazarus, come forth. Because if he would have just said come forth, everybody in the graveyard would have stood up and started walking. 
So we see Jesus as a miracle worker. And we see him as one that has compassion. If you go back to Mark 8, 1 and 2, this is where the people have been with Jesus a long time. And the disciples are there and they're looking at the people flocking to Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, they've been with us now for three days. They haven't had anything. We need to feed them. They said, what, what can we feed them? There was a little lad there. Had a little sack lunch. <laughs> had some. Uh, well, they had McDonald's back then. Must have been <laughs> a fish sandwich. <laughs> and no, but seriously, he had some fish and some bread. And Jesus said, "Well, give it to me. I want you little. I want you to know that little becomes much when you put it in the Lord's hands." I'm trying to help somebody. You need to put it in the Lord's hands. You've been trying it too long on your own. That little becomes much when you place it in the master's hand. He took it, broke it, prayed over it, and you know the account. 17 baskets of leftovers was left. 3,000 people were fed. That's not counting women and children because on those biblical numbers, they didn't count the women and children. So we know there were well over 3,000 that he fed with that. So Jesus was a compassionate man. But the shift, somebody say, but the shift, meaning the change in his ministry is about to occur. Listen where it comes in. The son of man must suffer, be rejected, killed, but will rise in three days as believers. And I think everybody in here is that. Facebook, are you a believer? For the believers, we're called to make a shift. Because of the current events of our day and time, there must be a change, a shift, if you please. Today, I want us to look at what it means to shift your priorities. Mm -hmm. You know the priorities are set. You know what you put first in your life. You know the things that you do that exceed what you would do for God. Somebody said this, and I want to say I am grateful to God for the gifts. I'm grateful to God for the tithes and the offerings. I'm grateful for how you support the work of God. But sir, ma'am, I want you to think about this the next time you go to a restaurant. Do you leave a tip? And if you leave a tip, is a generous tip. Now I want you to translate that to here. You should never give a tip more than you would give God. Somebody just recently, I'm not going to name a name, but they were down in the bubble in Florida. And they said that he left a tip in the thousands. And when they asked, what was that for? He said, because you took very good care of me. Now, that person could afford that kind of tip. But I say and submit to you, don't you ever leave a tip that's going to be greater than what you give to God. I'm telling you where we are right now, we've got to shift our priorities. Our Lord has much to say, believe it or not, about making the kind of shift in the text that we're reading today. So please allow me once again to read to you Mark 8:34 through 8038, and this time from the Amplified Bible. 
verse 34, Jesus called the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must, somebody say he must, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering, and perhaps dying because of your faith in me. Verse 35, for whosoever wished to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whosoever loses his life in this world for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. And 36 says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world with all of its pleasure and forfeit, forfeit his soul? You ever been in a game? I'm just stopping here a moment. And sometimes if you don't have the correct amount of people, although you're ready, you have to forfeit the game. That means you give them the game. You could have literally won the game but you chose to forfeit it. That's what he's saying here. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world with all of his pleasure and forfeit his soul? 37, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul and eternal life in God's kingdom? And last but not least, verse 38 says, for whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now let's take a moment and make a couple of observations here about what Jesus says when it comes to making a shift in our life. In Luke 10, 27, Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. In 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, but as he who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. First of all, my brothers and sisters, Jesus has always kept it real with us. Mm -hmm. We can never, ever say that we are following Jesus under false pretenses. Jesus never tries to bribe us by telling us that living the Christian life is easy. Matthew 10 and 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Matthew 5, 10, and 11. Blessed are they which are that persecute, that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye men when you revile and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Galatians 2. And 20, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Anybody glad about that? Anybody glad that one day while we were yet in sin, Christ laid it down for us? And secondly, Jesus never calls upon men to do or face anything that he was not prepared to do or face himself. Jesus was not the kind of leader who said one thing but did another. What he asked us to face, he was already facing. Jesus has the right to call us to take up the cross. For he himself was the first partaker of the cross. He first bore one for us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let me just pause right there. He counted it joy to die for us. He counted it joy while we were yet in sin and not giving him a time a day. He yet died for us. So we ought to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Again, for who for the joy that was set before him. He knew what was coming down the road with Calvary. He knew when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane what he was going to have to do. That's why he prayed, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. But if you would, please take this cup from me. That's the flesh. That's the part of us that don't want to go through our go through. But then he said, but not my will. But thy will be done. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. That's in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3 in part. And that goes against, somebody say that goes against. That goes against the grain of the world that teaches us that way. The world teaches us that success is measured by how much wealth we hold, by how convenient and easy our life is. Anything that differs from that definition of success, anything that bothers us or becomes difficult, we should avoid. Somebody said that's the world's teaching. And it's a sad commentary that the 21st century church, somebody said that's us. The 21st century church has adapted some of those attitudes. We see it in the advertisements of some of our churches. They're offering all kinds of fringe benefits to those that will attend. And many people go shopping for the church that offers the most. The what's in it for me mentality. It's already taken over the church. It's already taken over. As, as people no longer desire to serve, but they want to be served. Remember Jesus said, he came to serve. And he proved that to the disciples before he was to make his ascension to Calvary. He went, and Jesus was always about teaching, always about showing and instructing. He took a basin of water and a towel and girded it around himself 
and you know he had 12 disciples. The Bible said he washed all 12 of their feet. And he said, now, whoever wants to be greatest amongst you, this is how you do it, through servitude. But the world has now invaded the church, and the people that come into the church, they have the mindset, I need you to serve me. This is why the, the world would have us think. They want us to think like that. It teaches that everybody ought to cater to you. And all of your needs are to be met. And all of your wants and desires ought to be taken care of. When that doesn't happen, you know what? You become discontented, unhappy, disgruntled, and we're willing to walk away from Christ. Yet Jesus said these, these words, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a stark contrast of what the world teaches. I like to challenge everybody, every man, woman, boy, and girl listening today. Think about this. Think about the shift that we must make in our own lives, not the person behind you, not the person sitting next to you or in front of you, but think about the shift that we must make in our own lives and by observing the shift that Jesus made in his life. Remember, Jesus was always about examples, so he gave us an example that there was a shift that took place in his life that changed his ministry and put him on the road to purpose. Note the call. It is for whosoever will. It is inclusive. Somebody say, that means all of us. Jesus don't care nothing about your color. He don't care nothing about your uh, hair or lack of hair. <laughs> he doesn't care about any of that. What he does care about is the soul that you possess. A soul that literally belongs to him. I said it once, but it, it's truly worth reiterating. When you really get to the point where you're really desiring souls to be saved, you'll say, God, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they smell like. I just want you to reveal to me the soul of man. I want you to show me what that looks like. And I'll never forget we had years ago a young lady, she was struggling with drugs. She was struggling with living in the world, and, and she didn't want that life anymore. And we came over her house that night, myself and Lady Haynes, and we prayed for her, and I'll never forget. And that's why you got to realize that in the spirit world, it does exist. Darkness, demonic forces. But how many of you know greater is he that is in you? than he that is in the world. So we couldn't fear at all. And we went in and we prayed for that young lady. And to God be the glory, later on she came and repented of her sins and was baptized in Jesus' name, but she never received the Holy Ghost. And we lost track of her. And then one day one of the deacons, uh, they saw her and, and she was at a gas station and she was pumping gas. And he said, sis, how you doing? And she looked at him and she said, can't you see? She had went back. She got all caught back up again. 
that's like a, the proverb says it's like a dog returning to his vomit. And she said, can't you see? And that's where I say, if we can really see the soul of man, it'll give us a hunger and a thirst like never before to put our priorities, to shift our priorities to the things that God desires. I'm telling you, we ought to really look at Jesus' example. In Mark 8 and 34, then he called the crowd to him alone with his disciples and said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, that's the call. That's the call that's inclusive for everybody. The church as a whole, somebody say, I am the church. Each one of us, we represent the body of Christ. It's not these four walls and the roof, but we are the church. And the church as a whole must recognize in this post-COVID-19 era that it's time for a shift. If the world we live in ever needed to hear the saving gospel, it's now. It's time for a shift. Our priority must be to see the law saved at all cost. Even if that means giving up our conveniences to help someone come out of that darkness into God's truth. And I pray that the church will now see the need for a shift to become the church without walls people still need to hear the saving gospel they need to know about the death the burial resurrection they need to know that they need to have god in their life before it's all said and done whether the pandemic takes you out or you just die of natural causes we got to get to that place where we're willing to share this truth and again the church in this post-COVID-19 era, I know the devil was laughing. He said, I got him now. <laughs> they can't have no church. They can't go in no building and worship me. Remember, I said that you are the church. So wherever you are, that's where the church is. And one of the beautiful things about it, God had already purposed I'm still going to be able to have services. I'm still going to be able to have a way that people can hear the truth and nothing but the truth. And so what did he do? He gave us media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Zoom. He gave us opportunities to really still come to church but be on the outside of the four walls. There are churches right now, they're not in the physical building, but they're having parking lot services. I'm telling you, it is time for a shift with that church without the walls. The church must be willing to shift into high gear. People are desperate and, and feeling like no one cares. And that's when we must, as men and women of God, show them the love of God, not just through our words, but our actions. We must be an agent of change and a channel of blessings. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's time to make a shift. Thank you, Father. I gotta give you thanks. Because, Lord, everything that you have done, I didn't look at the now. 
I thank you, Lord, for the release of every chain. Everywhere I go, God, I got to give you praise because you have heard my cry. We have been smothered by the grace of God, and it has brought us joy. Therefore, Lord, we was able to make a joyful noise in this city. We have learned to forgive, and with that in mind, God, I just can't stop praising you. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise.